Good morning. It's a blessing to be up here this morning. Um, hope that you bear with me. My, my voice has been a little off this week. Um, I kind of lost my voice a little bit last Sunday, and then it was like kind of going in and out. So if I'm drinking a little bit of water or uh, you feel a little scratch, uh, bear with me. Um, my wife and I have this thing where, um, you know, if, if you've been... If you if you've been alone for a few hours and you haven't heard any and you <laughs> she's already laughing right now and you and you haven't and you haven't heard your voice like what do you do do you ever say like hello <laughs> to hear your voice so uh, this week my my voice was kind of in and out and it was like I wake up in the morning and it's like do I have my voice because I wake up a little early before everyone else so I go downstairs and I I, I actually did go hello <laughs> so I, I think we're okay but. Um, so we are going to be in uh, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, so if you could join me in your Bibles, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1. Um, so we're going we're, we're gonna to read uh, a, a lot of the verses just to get a good flavor for what's going on. But our main focus is going to be in verse 18. Um, so we're going to be starting out in verse 17. So if you'd please uh, stand for the reading of God's word. And 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, I just pray that uh, you will help me declare your word, Lord, and your word is truth and it is powerful, Lord, and to the world it's foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Those words are so true, Lord, and Lord, you laid it on my heart this week that there could be people in here that don't know you, Lord. 
And I just pray that as, as I preach, that you would just uh, work, in their, work in their hearts and that you would prick their souls to see their need for you, Lord, because none of us are, can do anything alone of ourselves, Lord. We need you. We need you in our lives. And we just pray that you'll help me glorify your name, Lord, as we look through these verses. And I just thank you for your mercies and your grace that you bestow upon us every day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we live in a day where the message of the cross is so muddled and diluted. Churches, even whole denominations, are moving away from the message of salvation through the blood of Jesus. There's a lot of focus maybe on social issues and social activism, types of good works, prosperity, um, or even self-help to build up your self-esteem and to give yourself the best life now. The old message of the bloody cross is quickly being replaced by a bloodless message that is a watered-down message that has no salvific power and is hopeless. Well, today, with God's help, I want to present to you just a simple Christ-powered message. Like Paul says in verse 17, he doesn't say it with eloquent words or, or rhetoric. It's a message that says we're sinners completely lost and powerless to do anything on our own. But God in his mercy gives us the free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. A message that says don't trust in your own righteousness, good deeds, or try to win favor by tipping the scales, by, by being good, with your good outweighing your bad. But transfer your trust from yourself to the Savior because it's him alone that can save us. And it's a free gift. For those that have been to believers for some time, this is a well-known passage that we've probably heard many sermons on. But anytime the gospel is presented and God is glorified, that's a win in, in my book. Um, you might get a new reflection, a new perspective, or maybe God's simply correcting you and you've been wandering off. So this, what we preach, it's the power of God's word. It's God-breathed, sharper than any two-edged sword. So the gospel never gets old. It's the power of salvation. So these first two chapters in the first epistle that Paul writes to the Corinthians lay a solid foundation for understanding um, for all Christians about our faith. So Paul is dealing with basic issues. And at the start of this letter, it's a direct result of what is happening in the Corinthian church. And, uh, some, of this, and some of this is the same uh, true for churches today. Many churches, we have a Christian message filled with confusion and uncertainty as to the essence of what exactly is Christianity. And the world is, is uh, you know, there's great confusion on the core Christian message. Um, we hear many things about Christianity today that are so far removed from the New Testament and what the Bible teaches because many people don't know their Bibles. So I'm going to focus on the, on, let's focus on the foundation. God's word and God's spirit working in our lives to see the truth. So in Acts 18... Uh, it gives us a look, we're not going to go there today, but it gives us a look at Paul's initial stay in Corinth on his second missionary journey. Um, he had spent a year and a half in, in Corinth planting the church, and now some years have passed, and he's in Ephesus writing, writing the letter to the, uh, to the church in Corinth. And so Paul opens up with his uh, typical greeting to the church in verses 1 through 9, um, just praising God and, and 
and his greetings. And then in verse 11, we see that it's reported to him by the household of Chloe that there's quarreling and unhappy divisions in the church. Um, Verse 12 and 13 continues, where people in the church are saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? They were latching on to the leaders that had ministered to them. And we see that today in our culture as well, where someone's put up on a pedestal and they're so focused on this guy that they're oblivious to what Christ, who Christ is and what he has done for us. So Paul realizes that this is just a, uh, that they failed to grasp the basic foundation of the Christian faith, which is Christ. So that's where our main text is leading us into as we pick up in verse 17 and verse 18 where I'm going to be at. So today it's, what is the Christian message? What is, Christ, what, is, what is the Christian faith and what does it really mean to be a Christian? And so we'll see Paul answer this. Uh, a number of times he repeats himself. Picking up in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And in verse 23 again, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling blocks to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And even again in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we see the repetition and Paul highlighting and magnifying the foundational gospel message. So if we're not clear on this, then any profession of our Christian faith, it's just vanity and a delusion. So what is the Christian message? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if you were paying attention to the lyrics as we're worshiping and singing the songs that uh, the worship team had, Right, The gospel is in all of those songs right there, glorifying Jesus and magnifying his name. We preach a person, a person crucified on a cross, our Lord and Savior. So um, we observe the Lord's table every, every, the first uh, Sunday of every month, and it's a remembrance of his sacrifice. So just later in this first epistle, in chapter 11, Paul is addressing them because they have been taken in an unworthy manner. The, uh, the wealthier people had been eating, eating a lot and getting drunk and leaving the poor people hungry there. And Paul had to rebuke the Corinthians for this unworthy manner. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, let us not forget what our Lord said on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup This is the covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it was only hours later that Jesus would be on that cross making that sacrifice for us. Jesus was scourged, beaten, spit upon, his beard ripped from his feet face, mocked, stripped naked, and nailed to the cross. But even worse than the physical pain was that God's wrath was poured upon Jesus. Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath so that believers in Jesus don't have to. The God-man who knew no sin 
became sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God. So our message is to fix our eyes on Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us in his death. But we serve a living God. Death couldn't hold him. He is risen. He is seated at the right hand of God. Amen? Yes, that is where our hope and our joy is. So now I want to go further and examine the cross and some of the implications that must be true. And this is where the rub is at. This is the offense to the natural man. The natural man despises it. The Bible says it's a stumbling block and foolishness to the world. So what does the cross tell us? It tells us that we are all condemned sinners under God's wrath. All of us. The Jews, as God's chosen people group, uh, through whom Jesus would be born, thought they were in a privileged position. They had the law of Moses directly handed to them, and the Bible even says that salvation is from the Jews, but their ethnicity, that that wasn't going to save them. There's no merit in that. It's God alone who shows us mercy. The Greeks, these were the men that were were, uh, seekers of wisdom, right? They valued the oratorical performance, developing the science of rhetoric. They were the sophisticated people, and everyone else, barbarians. The cross demolishes any privileged position we esteem to have. The Jew is made to see that his status doesn't save him because of his bloodline. The Greeks, with all his wisdom, is just as lost. So think about a time when you were in a privileged position, a a VIP status. So are you telling me that you've never had this feeling that you're a little better than the common folk? Pride is so easy to sneak up on us. And it can be the silliest of things. So I think about going to an amusement park. It's a hot day, 100 degrees plus. The favorite roller coaster that you want to go on has a super long line. But lo and behold, you have the fast pass. So there's a line over here for the long line, and you come over here to the separate entrance, and the lady said, you show their, their fast pass, the lady says, right this way, sir. You're walking through that line, and you see all those people in the baking sun. Tell me you don't walk with a little extra strut and a little, and a little taller, right? So it's something silly like that whenever we can feel elevated or, or that we are in a better position that we can always feel that we are privileged above someone else. And in America, we have a very big danger, right? We could think, that because of who we are Americans, that we are better off than someone else, right? And, and I, God forbid that we ever have that feeling that we think that because of who we are right now in America, that we have a better status than a poor person living in the slums in a third world country, right? Every soul is precious. We are all made in the image of God. There's no difference between Jew and Greek, slave or free, male or female, but we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we are all under God's wrath and condemnation. So we need to be sure that we have a right understanding of who God is, and he has revealed himself to us through his word and by his Holy Spirit. It's easy to latch on to things we read in scripture and things we'd love to hear. God is love. God forgives. These are all true But God is also holy, and God is just. We can't cherry-pick his attributes and hold fast to what our flesh likes. That's the the pinpoint, and that's that's nothing but idolatry right there. 
God is holy and we are not. We have transgressed his law and we all stand guilty before him and are under his wrath because God can't let sin go unpunished. Think of a judge in a court system who would let a murderer go when there's unprecedented evidence that he is guilty. What would we say about that judge? That judge is corrupt. Yeah. He doesn't care about justice. We wouldn't know how to handle it. There'd be demonstrations in the street, people rioting, doing everything. And not only would we want justice for the murderer, but we would want also the judge to be fired. So if our law requires that justice, how much holier is God's law? How much more, um, how much more is God's law? And Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so that's what happened on the cross. Jesus paid the price in his life's blood for those that put their faith in him. So our world today doesn't like hearing about God's justice and his wrath. But I would be a fool if I withheld the truth from you today. The Bible also tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. And in God's eyes, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. So we can look at the life of Paul before his conversion to highlight this point. So if you would, uh, please uh, go to Philippians, Philippians 3. starting in the middle of uh, verse 4. Well, we see that Paul was a proud Pharisee who worked tirelessly to work his way into God's favor and depended on his own self-righteousness. So we see in the middle of verse 4, starting, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. On faith. So when Paul came face to face with Jesus, by God's grace, he saw that all his self-righteousness, all his labor that he had toiled over for years and years and years, nothing but dung. Rubbish. Paul saw himself as a chief of sinners, and he never shied away from uh, thanking the Lord for the grace that was bestowed upon him. In 1 Timothy 1.14, he says, The grace of our Lord overflowed, uh, overflowed for me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This also highlights how powerful the blood of Jesus is, right? God can forgive the worst of sinners. There's no sin in your life that the blood of Jesus is not going to cover. 
you may have all this guilt and fear and everything pent up in your soul and you think that there's no way I've, I've done this, I've done that. The blood of Jesus can cover it all but we must repent and believe in Christ. And the closer we truly get to God and understand who he is, the lower we're gonna see ourselves. The more we're in communion with him, seeking him with our whole heart, worshiping him in spirit and truth, the more we're gonna see who we are, sinners in need of grace. The cross of Christ is gonna demolish any of our self-righteousness and it will glorify Jesus. The cross condemns us all and it humbles us all. So another implication of the cross is that it tells us that we are helpless. We can do nothing about our condition. So think about this. Why did the Son of God have to be crucified? We think about the suffering of our Lord on that cross. There was no one else that could pay that price for the sin. There was no one else that was worthy The message of the cross tells us that man can't save himself. So even if you started today and said, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, I'm going to stay wholly devoted to God, you wouldn't be better off than you are today. And then I would even argue that you would be worse off because you're going to start relying more on yourself and thinking, I can just do it, I just got to work harder, I just I, 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 right? Instead of him, 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 right? So we turn the attention towards, towards us and we just try to do things better ourselves as opposed to just surrendering to God. And again, think about our human court system. So if someone tells the judge, yeah, I robbed a convenience store, shot the clerk, but let me tell you about all the good things I've done, judge. So I've turned over a new leaf. I'm gonna be a new, I'm gonna be a new person now. I'm gonna be... Um, Donating to charities, feeding the homeless, doing all this. And the judge is going to say, what? I'm not judging you on your good works. I'm judging you on the transgressions, on, on, on the laws that you have broken. And these transgressions require justice. In James 2.10, it says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. So we can't save ourselves. It's only God that can save us. And that is how evil our sin is to a holy God. God had to be manifested in the flesh, born of a virgin, live a holy and blameless life, and he needed to be the perfect sacrifice for us. And so if Jesus was not God in the flesh, then he wasn't a perfect sacrifice. He would have to cover his own sins. But he is the image of the invisible God. And so what do we say to that? It's just praise and worship towards the Lord. I love the scene in Revelation 5 where there's no one worthy to break the seals. And, uh, and the angels in heaven are singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing. If there was any other way that God could forgive us of our sins and reconcile us to him in all of his infinite wisdom, don't you think that there would have been another way? 
that he could have done that? I could never believe that God would be able to sacrifice his own son and put him through and have him bear the shame of that and the humility of that if there is another way of that salvation can be obtained. The cross demolishes any other way of salvation or reconciliation to God. It can't happen. That's a fact, and that's what this Bible says right here. Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The cross tells us to surrender to God's will. Surrender your good works. Surrender your righteousness. Get on your knees. Cry out to the Lord. Repent. Believe. Cast yourself on the mercy seat of Christ. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Man doesn't like that message. Man is self-confident in himself. So the preaching of the cross is is an offense to men, a message men resent, a message that they dislike. Right, the true test, if we we have the, um, if we're presenting the cross correctly, is it, is it an offense to the natural man? We look at the persecution that Paul had during his ministry. Let's just, let's just highlight that for a second. In 2 Corinthians 11, it, he even talks about it. He said that he was in prison, beaten many times without number, and often in danger of death. Five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Paul was preaching Christ, and they hated him for it. Our message, it's a stumbling block and an offense. And this is what Jesus says in John. The world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore... The world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. People accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, a great example, a healer. But when you talk about the blood of Christ and all the implications that we've stated, there's resentment in the flesh, in the natural world. I heard it once said that Christianity would be popular and received by everyone with love if one word was changed. From Jesus is the way to Jesus is a way. The exclusivity of the cross offends even more. But I'm going to put my trust in what God's word says and what Jesus claims. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's the word of the cross. That's what it's it's about. That's what it implies.
So in verse 18, again, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word folly or foolishness in this verse is from the Greek word moria, which means foolish, stupid, or unintelligent. From this Greek word, we derive the word moron. To the Greek mind, believing in Christ and Christ alone as the way to salvation was the belief of a moron. The Greeks were looking for some new philosophical theory that would enlighten them. In their eyes, and put them one step closer to God. But Paul told them about a Jewish man that lived as a carpenter and was crucified on a cross and buried and rose again on the third day. Foolishness to them. And to this day, people will scoff at that idea. How does the cross do anything for me 2,000 years later, they say? How is that going to impact my life in any way? It sounds like madness to the natural man. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Think about some of the world's most brilliant philosophers, scholars, and debaters who just say, the gospel of Jesus Christ is nonsense. But what's their starting foundation? It's themselves. It's human wisdom. My starting foundation is going to be God's word. I'll build, my, I'll build everything on the rock of God's word. Not on shifting sand that changes throughout time. God's word never changes. You'll see in secular universities around the world that the Bible and God's message of salvation is laughed at, right? To them it's a dead book. A book written by dead men. But I trust in God's word. My identity is in Christ. So to the world, I'm a fool. I'm a fool for Christ. So if you're hearing this message today and the preaching of this cross sounds foolish, there should be a a fear that should grip your heart. Because the Bible says that you're perishing if it sounds foolish to you. That means you're on the road to hell, to eternal damnation, and you're still under God's wrath. Right? These are harsh things that, ha- that, are, that are said in here. To, to, right? And that's why to the natural man, it's so offensive. But I got to proclaim it. This is what it says. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I remember a time in my life when you'd look at me and you'd look at the outside and you'd say, hey, that looks like a pretty good person who has his stuff together. But inside, I was spiritually bankrupt. But then God showed his grace on me, shined his light into my dark soul, broke me down, helped me cry out for mercy and forgiveness. He opened He opened the word for me and showed me my true nature and showed me the truths about him that I think I'd read the words before. Nothing. 
But now these words were revealed to me through his spirit. And that was all by God's work, his power. There's nothing in me of any intelligence or I studied and, and I'm that smart. All right, that's all of God, all of God's grace in my life. It was God drawing me to him. God regenerated my soul and all the praise goes to him. Most of you know that in June of this year, my older sister, Miley, went to be with the Lord after battling cancer for two years. You want to see the power of God work through a believer? I saw that precisely in her. Her faith and dependence on the Lord day by day amidst her weakening body was an amazing sight to see. It was never a, why is this happening to me, O oh Lord? Why me? Or any type of murmur against the Lord. Rather, God used her in the midst of her suffering, guiding her family, helping her family, getting closer in God's word, being an example and a shining light. Her faith and hope in God's promises and a life of eternity and communion with the Lord overshadowed any, any bit of her pains and struggles. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It was nailed to the cross by Christ Jesus, our Lord. Death has been abolished. That is the power of the God. That is the gospel we preach. In closing, the gospel is not for the proud or the arrogant or those who believe that they can get to God by any righteousness of their own. God deliberately chose a foolish message to humble us and to guarantee that no one would boast in their own wisdom. So all the glory goes to God. you haven't submitted your life to Christ if you're still holding on to your righteousness and you think that you can just work harder and obtain your own salvation I just pray that God would convict your heart today prick your heart that these words that I was speaking that they'll just keep staying in there keep staying in there keep getting at you keep getting at you until it breaks you down. Until you just cry out to the Lord. And repent and believe the gospel. Transferring any of the trust that you have in yourself to our Lord and Savior. There's only two paths. Those in Christ whose sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. And those whose sins have not been covered at all and they stand guilty before God on judgment day, sent to eternal damnation in hell. So don't push this message off and say, I'll do something about it tomorrow. Behold, today is the day. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Please join me in prayer.
Heavenly Father, as we've gone through this text, we just see that it is all about Jesus and what he's done for us, Lord. As we look to ourselves, we can't find anything good in ourselves that would be pleasing to you, Lord. Help us to see Help us by your spirit to work in our lives, to see our inabilities and our inadequacies, that, that you will humble our heart to cry out to you, Lord. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his sacrifice for us, Lord. And we just want to praise your name and worship you, Lord the transformation that you've done in our lives. And I just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you are dismissed. Have a great, uh, have a great week in the Lord.